one chapter down and, uh, what, I don't know, 600 more to go? I don't know how many chapters there are. How many chapters are there? Is this a bad idea? This is probably a bad idea. Alright, so now we're on chapter two of, of the first of the Harry Potter's books. The Harry's Potter, as I call it. I don't call it that. It's called The Vanishing Glass. That's the name of this chapter. So there's going to be a glass that vanishes at some point or something. I don't know. We come to find out that Harry uh, is now living with his aunt and uncle in Bel Air. And we learn that his cousin is bad. And you know how we know that he's bad? It's because he's fat. The book is very clear that his fatness and his badness are sort of intertwined. And this kid is like a spoiled sociopath. His name is Dudley, and he gives Harry his old clothes, and the clothes are way too big for Harry because he's fat. Uh, and this is like this weird, back to this weird Calvinist ideology where there's the elect and the reprobate, and you were born this way, God marks the elect with a fucking lightning bolt on their forehead, and he marks the reprobate uh, with grotesque physical features. This is, by the way, an incredibly destructive ideology for a whole host of reasons, uh, not least of which is just the sort of subtle and charming way in which fat shaming gets totally normalized in this chapter. But we also come to learn that the reason that Dudley is fat and spoiled and terrible is that his parents are overindulgent. And so this is like a sort of critique of um, modern bourgeois excess, I think, or it's supposed to be, but it's really clunky. There's a sort of nurture over nature argument going on in the background, but I think that this is all really just to say, okay, here are the bad people that hate imagination and hate, you know, mystery and cool, all the cool shit that you're reading this book for, and Harry isn't that, and they all hate Harry, and so you feel sympathy for Harry, and that's the whole sort of breakdown. We also come to find that uh, Harry is spending his his days being mercilessly beaten by, by Dudley, uh, but it's not that bad because he can run away from Dudley because Dudley's fat. And so we just, the narrator just keeps hammering this point home to the point where it, it really gets bad. We also find that Harry is forced to sleep in a cupboard full of spiders. So that's really fucked up. And the aunt and the uncle tell Harry that uh, the number one rule is don't ask questions, which is back in line with this, you know, we hate imagination shit from chapter one. And it's like, no one actually thinks like this. No one actually thinks like, don't ask questions, you know. It's sort of like, the narrator isn't good enough to sort of come up with a convincing ideological apparatus for, for this sort of thing. And so they just, they just go with the most, like, blatantly obvious, like, well, we just don't like curiosity. There's also this really weird description where Dudley's mom thinks that he looked like he's looking like an old picture of Dudley as like a baby or something and thinks that he looked like a baby angel and Harry's like no he looks like a fat pig he's a fat shitty pig and it's like the weirdest thing to get us sort of the cheapest way of getting us to to 
agree with Harry and hate Dudley is to just, like, keep reinforcing that he's this, like, fat, grotesque thing. And I have no idea why the labor, why the narrator is belaboring this point, other than to just fat shame Dudley, and also to fat shame anyone else who happens to be reading this book. And then for some reason, Uncle Vernon tells Harry, like, get a haircut, hippie, and we don't really understand why. And then Dudley throws a temper tantrum because he didn't get enough presents on his birthday, to which Harry reacts as this sort of Pavlovian fear that this dude is going to turn a table over. So, like, Harry is clearly has, like, some PTSD going on here. He's he's already sort of just, like, conditioned himself to expect Dudley to be horrible and violent. And then they are going to go... The, the parents are going to take uh, old Dudley out for his birthday and leave Harry with someone named Mrs. Fig. And, like, for some reason, Harry hates Mrs. Fig because she makes him look at pictures of her cats. And it's like, dude, you sleep on fucking spiders and this fucking kid beats you up all the time like you were being abused mercilessly go look at cat pictures what the fuck is wrong with you someone did that like someone was like hey um you're gonna take a break from your horrible existence to go look at some adorable cat pictures i'd be like hell yeah i think harry is like maybe this is like some sort of stockholm syndrome thing i don't know but like but it's also not because the narrator wants to have it both ways so then it turns out that mrs fig broke her leg and harry's like oh good that awful woman who shows me adorable cat pictures i'm so glad that violence has befallen her it's really weird i don't understand this at all and then harry so so it's sort of this weird trope so that harry has to go out with the family to the zoo that is where they're going and we get this insane backstory narration about all the crazy shit that's always happening to harry and it's never his fault one time his aunt put him in solitary confinement uh, because his hair grew back too fast. And then this other time, uh, Harry told his uncle that he dreamed about uh, a flying motorbike, and his uncle yelled at him, motorbikes don't fly. And Harry's like, yeah, dude, it's a dream. Do you not know what a dream is, you weird, angry man? How did you get this far in life where your entire existence is just to be like the most cartoonishly awful human being on the planet? How are you a real person? And so they go to the zoo. And Harry sees a gorilla, and he's like, Hey, Dudley, that's you, dude. You're that gorilla, because you're big and fat, like that gorilla. And then they go to this reptile house, and Dudley, and then Dudley has this shitty friend named, like, Piers Morgan or something like that. And Dudley's shitty friend and him are like, We want to see big fucking snakes. We want to see big old phallic symbols. We're the throbbing engorged snakes. We are toxic masculinity and then dudley finds this big snake but it's limp or like asleep or something and then he tells his uncle yo get you know get this snake up and his uncle couldn't get the snake up and so dudley gets bored and i guess that the joke is that the snake is like a penis or something i don't know it's it's really it's a really bizarre thing and so then the narrator makes this really overt parallel between the giant snake and harry because they're both trapped in this like box all the time and they're actually super powerful and feral and no one understands them, and everybody just treats them like shit. So it seems like there's this uh, Dudley-Harry dichotomy that is now taking the form of, like, a sort of false toxic masculinity against, like, whatever, like, this, like, true version of masculinity, apparently. Although that hasn't really been fleshed out. Or maybe it's, like, an exterior versus an interior masculinity, where Dudley's is very, like, surface area, um... You know, we, I just am 
an awful person, and so I project an image of masculinity onto the world, and that is accomplished through sort of violence and, like, being obsessed with, like, big snakes and shit, and then also just being, like, an entitled person who is obsessed with, with consumption. I mean, we see him eat, you know, where he's eating, he's eating chocolate, he's consuming, he's getting presents, he's mad that he doesn't get enough presents. So he's, like, basically, like, this sort of, like, excess capitalist monster, whereas, like, Harry is doing, like, this sort of subtle consumption where he's you know harry is also eating at the table but he's doing it very meticulously and then he's also eating but he's eating like this lemon thing and it's only because the i don't know like the parents wanted to save face and pretend that they're not awful people and so then in like an incredibly heavy-handed metaphor uh the snake gets out and makes a beeline for uh brazil because the snake is from Brazil. And I didn't understand this at all. Like, what is that snake going to do? Like, slither to the airport and buy a ticket? That I don't think that the snake thought this plan through very well. So, and I guess the, the, the idea is that the snake cage, like, disappeared. And that's the vanishing glass from the uh, title of the, of the chapter. And I guess that this means that, like, now the constraints are off of, of Harry. Or they're soon to be off of Harry. But so, of course, Harry gets blamed for the snake fiasco. It's really weird because for a couple that doesn't believe in imagination and they don't seem to even, like, understand basic concepts like dreams uh, or, like, the distinction between dreams and reality, they are just perfectly willing to believe that Harry is capable of, of telepathically communicating with a snake and then making a glass case disappear. Their, their ideology is really bizarre. Like, it makes no sense whatsoever. And then there's also this weird part where Uncle Vernon gets so mad at Harry that he literally collapses, and his aunt, in in response to this, gets him a large brandy, and that's really weird. That is really weird to me, because it's, it's all being relayed in this sort of, like, smooth, charming British affectedness, but it's like, yo, you're straight up living with an alcoholic. Like, this dude is an alcoholic, and there are these just, like, subtle horrors they're sort of being relayed to you as though like, oh, isn't this cute? Isn't this a cute little fun story? And if we're if we're gonna use that sort of the, the toxic masculinity and consumption metaphor, I think that this is shaping up to be a story about ideology and about the way that ideology gets masked, which I think is cool in some ways. Although I I don't know how the uh, the narrator seems to be a lot less critical of this than I would wish. So then the chapter ends with harry staying in his cupboard dreaming of greater things you know newer pastures someone to take him away it's a very um it's like that scene in star wars where luke is like i just want to you know break free i wish gregor clogane would come back on his motorbike and just send me out of here and into wizard school or whatever i think that this was it's mostly a not good chapter because I think that the metaphors were pretty heavy-handed. I think that the the characterization is it's incredibly non-nuanced. It's incredibly black and white. I get that it's a children's book, but I think that even children are capable of understanding the difference between characters and caricatures. And I think that a lot of the sympathy that we feel for Harry is, is unearned, at least at this point. It's, it's a sort of manufactured sympathy. One chapter and, down, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, six hundred more part, to go. I don't know how many chapters there are. How many chapters are there? Although it went is this by a bad idea? This is so probably a bad idea. That 